all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics right here at University of Mississippi Medical Center. I want to thank everybody for joining us this morning. This is the program where you can call in with any kind of question you might have about your own health care, the health care of someone that is close to you or maybe distant from you. Any kind of questions, we welcome those today. You can reach us live by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And uh, looking pretty dark out there. I don't know where you are in the state or surrounding areas, but uh, a lot of, uh, if you're in the central Jackson area, you might want to watch out and uh, check your radar if you're going to get out for lunch because there is a wall of darkness coming this way. I noticed that when I was walking in the studio this morning. Everybody stay careful out there. Uh, We are here to maybe keep you a little bit uh, safe or safer than you were by giving you some knowledge. That's right. We try to do our best by connecting you with some medical knowledge about what is most on your mind, whether that be an unexplained symptom of something that's going on or a number of symptoms. Maybe it's a new medication that the physician that you're seeing has put you on. Maybe it's some questions about side effects of potential medications, or or maybe it's a diagnosis that you received that you really didn't quite understand or have the chance to uh, ask some questions and thought about that. You are very welcome to uh, to call us this morning, and we'll try to give you the best information that we can. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send an email if you're not able to call. Uh, it doesn't have to be during the hour; it can be afterwards. To, to uh, remedy at mpbonline.org. We like to keep up with some things that are brought up on the program, and uh, Kevin Farrell, our trusty producer of the program, uh, uh, came across this this morning in the news. So a couple of weeks ago, or maybe maybe probably like a month or two ago, we were talking about on a couple of different programs, Kratom uh, uh, or Kratom, I'm not exactly sure still to this day about how to pronounce that, but it's K-R-A-T-O-M. So this product, it's a uh, over-the-counter herbal product that is sold in a number of stores, and it's been touted to uh, help with pain relief, uh, with chronic pain, if you're suffering from chronic pain. Um, Also, it's been touted to help with uh, uh, the claims or for anxiety disorders. Not a whole lot of studies on either one of those, uh, but a lot of people, we actually have one caller that called in to tell her story about uh, how it had helped her to uh, wean off of opioid medications. However, there are some potential side effects with it, so you got to be very careful uh, with a number of herbal or over-the-counter medications. Just because they're over-the-counter doesn't mean they're safe. Certainly, if you uh, if you're taking them from time to time, there's lots of different uh, negative uh, effects that they can have on a number of things. 
So uh, several cities in the state, uh, there's about 30 out there and counties who have actually criminalized the possession of Kratom. Uh, so last uh, this last legislative uh, session, um, the legislator did did, did have a bill that was um, that was uh, that failed uh, that would have made the uh, kratom uh, illegal statewide. And and the concerns are uh, because of the side effects. A lot of people. There's been a, a number of people that have died or had serious complications from taking it. So um, I believe Oxford. Uh, Oxford, uh, the city of Oxford has banned this uh, substance. Um, there was a death in April that was linked to uh, Kratom as a contributing factor in that. And uh, th- this comes from a tree that uh, comes from a tropical tree, and usually it's consumed as a powder, and that's can, that can also be in a liquid or capsules. But uh, you got to be careful out there about this and just be aware of that. You know, you may not be aware that some things you might have in your cabinet that you got uh, maybe in another city and now have driven home across the county line. Uh, there may be some things that may get you in trouble. Um, so just something to keep in mind about that. And, and that's a general, you know, you've heard me many times people would ask, Hey, can I take this? Do you think this over the counter medication or remedy is okay to take for gout or for chronic pain or for hypertension or diabetes? And there is a little bit of evidence across the board on a lot of those things. Some have more than others. Um, but the, the stance I usually take is I'll, I'll try my best to look at the evidence as a physician and then make a decision and pass that on to my patients. But I also caution them that you don't always know what you're getting. There's not a good way to standardize a lot of these uh, to understand exactly how much you're getting. And there's no requirement by because it's not a regulated FDA medication uh, there's no requirement for standardization or testing or making sure you get what you're paying for. So you do have to to watch out for a number of those things. And even if it's standardized, you may be on other medications or have certain medical uh, conditions that uh, it may not be good to take those kinds of things. Uh, a good example is, uh, you know, a, a common one, ginkgo uh, extract is an herbal medication you can get. And it's, you know, one of the things people take it for is uh, memory improvement. Uh, Again, not a whole lot of science behind that, but if it helps, hey, that's okay. But it can interfere with the uh, how well uh, platelets stick together. So you can have, if you're on something like even aspirin, uh, a baby dose of aspirin, you may have some problems if you're taking ginkgo. That's just one example. It's always a great idea to check with your physician or uh, even better yet to check with your team, which would include your pharmacist and to ask them, you know, if they can look up some different things. There's databases you can go to. There's several that I go to when people ask me questions to try to look in the medical literature and try to tease these things out to see if you can uh, maybe uh, understand what might be the potential interactions of these things. Uh, back to school, man. Everybody's in full swing now. Most of our K through twelve students have gone back to school now. I don't know of any schools that haven't. We had a rush of sports physicals come in and other things uh, that kids need to go to school. Immunizations they need uh, to be caught up on, and uh, a lot of questions about that. A lot of angst among um, among parents about you know schedules changing my my teenager's been staying up till three and four in the morning now what do I do a little bit behind the eight ball on that one right now but uh, basically you got to get them on schedule get them back there make sure that they have good sleep habits but I did want to mention a lot of people don't understand uh, you know what does it take to be a physician uh, what does it take to be a doctor? And I uh, just wanted to go over that. Most most people, I think, have an understanding, but it's a long time. So after high school, you would uh, go through four years of college. And then after that, four years of medical school. Uh, and um, we just had 165 new med students start at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. In fact, I was... Uh, I was fortunate enough to participate in their white coat ceremony. So the white coat is sort of a uh, ritual of uh, of passage that, you know, just just sort of understands the importance as a profession and the the obligation. We recited the Hippocratic Oath, and there was some uh, there was another oath that we take as uh, medical educators and and learners. And it was a great night um, that we had 165 of them. That's a lot of students, man, and just. 
it always gives me encouragement to see on each individual face. My 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 small task in the whole thing was making sure that they signed something uh, when they came across the stage. And to look them in the eye and say, congratulations, sign here, and just to see the importance. Almost everybody uh, in that group, you could just see on their faces that they are undertaking something that is huge. Uh, It is difficult to be a physician. There's certainly a lot of work that it entails. There's a lot of things that they have to put on hold. So four years of college, four years of medical school. And even after you get that MD, you can't just go out and, you know, set up your uh, your name and uh, hang your shingle somewhere. That There are some other things that you have to do after that. So all medical specialties, even if your primary care, uh, require some additional training. So at the very least, you would be required to have three years of training after med school, and usually that's called a residency. And it might be longer than that. So if you do a fellowship, if you have some more specific training, say, as a cardiologist or a kidney doctor or a rheumatologist or lots of different things, some surgery programs are a lot longer. It can be anywhere from seven to nine years after medical school before you can practice on your own. So that's a huge amount of time, effort. Uh, dedication, and you know, we we in the medical profession now, uh, as fast as things change, we've always, you know, adhered to sort of the the root of the word doctor, which the Latin form of it uh, actually means to teach. And uh, we teach ourselves. We try to keep up with the medical literature. So it's a it's an undertaking that uh, really doesn't end until you retire, and uh, that's about you know thirty thirty five years of your life that's spinning in that. So big deal. Is it worth it? If you ask me that question, the answer is always yes, because man, there's nothing better about diagnosing somebody with something and getting them to a place where their health is in a better condition than what it was or to, to navigate through some difficult situations. So just a little bit of background there and uh, congratulations to our 165 entering students here. Lots of different students, other places that are starting medical school. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy and you can reach us this morning. Got a wide open board right now. You can call us with your questions about your health problems by dialing one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, your calls and questions. Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 672 7464, or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you live this morning. We're answering your questions and maybe you have some comments. If somebody calls in and you're like, hey, I got something to add to that, you can always reach us this morning at 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 You can always send us an email. We do look at emails when they come in and try to get back to you in a timely uh, fashion, but we also address those from time to time. Uh, on the air, so we'll um, we'll give you sort of a synopsis of different ones that we get. Maybe some that are we feel like are uh, reach out to a, a broader population than just that one person. 
um, and then to uh, we basically read those and then give you the answer on air. So you can always do that if uh, if the notion strikes you in the middle of the night, maybe you can't sleep and you want to email us about insomnia. That would be, you know, hey, this is Joe at 2 a.m. in the morning and I can't sleep. What's going on? Joe, just send us an email at remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to go to Shelly from Olive Branch. Good morning, Shelly. Hi, good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. I'm 49 years old, and lately it seems like every ache and pain I have, I worry, like, is this just normal aging aches and pain, or is this something more serious? Yep. And um, the past week or two, um, I've been having abdominal cramping, and you know the like the poop chart that shows you all different yeah. types that you can have. I've had every single one yeah. over the past couple of weeks. So I don't know if this is something just to like ride out or I need to go see somebody. Yeah, that's a difficult one, and and uh, certainly it's a common one. Pain is one of the most common things that people come to their to their primary care doctor or their physician about, and um, it can be a little difficult to know. Uh, you know, if it's something, as you said, Shelly, you know, is it something that we worry about? Is it something that's just going to go away? I, I'm right there with you. I'm 49, so I'm feeling it too. Little aches and pains that I, I don't ever remember having when I was 20, and I'm, I've am i got them now. So you always wonder about that. Is this something I should go in and see about? Um, so my general advice on that is <clears throat> acute pain and that's pain that's usually something that goes away within a couple of days to a week or two. If it's, you know, and it t- it depends on where it is, too. If you've got excruciating eye pain and it interferes with your vision, you need to go see about that within a matter of hours. But if it's low back pain that is a nuisance, you can't really pick anything up, It's you've got some muscle spasm around there, you know, that, that can be common, quite common, particularly if it's related to an activity. So it's a little bit hard to dissect those things out. To your specific pain that you're having with the abdominal pain, one of the things that we would, you know, if you came into my office, I would ask changes in stool. So either constipation or diarrhea or different, you know, stool consistencies, that might be something to to get checked out. Um, but again, it's how long have you had that? So if it's been there for a few days to a week, most of the time, that's not a big problem. And, it, you know, letting it go a week is not that big a deal um, from, the, from the patient standpoint. You're not going to cause a lot of harm if it's not a pain where, in other words, you're not, you're not able to eat, you're throwing up, you're, you know, having intense um, cramping to the point where you can't go about your daily activities. So the severity of the pain other associated symptoms, and how long it's there. Those are three of the main things that we ask to try to differentiate. Is this something that needs to be addressed right now, or is it something that can wait? So I know that doesn't give you a whole lot of uh, you know direction, but I would say if it's been going on more than about two weeks and you've had some stool changes, that's probably okay to go get checked out, particularly at 49. Okay. Yeah, I feel like ever since I turned 49, I'm becoming a hypochondriac. Like, I'm cranking everything. <laughs> well, you know, there are some things you have to look at it, you know, for as you get older. You know, the body, as it gets older, not old, but older, uh, there's a difference. Um, it tends to, you know, there's statistically things that can come up. Um, family history, I didn't mention that, but certainly that would be something, too. You know, if you have any kind of uh, family history of abdominal problems, uh, colon cancer, different things that can affect the the GI tract. Um, those are all things to sort of ask about. But I, you know, I you should never feel like you're bothering your physician. And uh, certainly, even if the physician finds nothing, if you come to him with symptoms, and I mean, to me, that's a good thing because most of the time that's going to go away. You're going to get better anyway. But I always tell my, I try to tell my patients, look, you're not bothering me. This is your time to come in and be checked out. I would much rather you do that than to wait six months to a year. Now, that would be something if you've had pain for over six weeks uh, and, you know, that, that's you need to get that checked out. And pain, pain's there for a reason. Our bodies are designed with pain receptors to tell us, change what you're doing or get it checked out. So, uh, you know, Hansen's disease or leprosy uh, is one of the diseases that affects the pain receptors in the extremities. 
And the result of that is people burn themselves. They auto amputate. In other words, they have repeated trauma to areas of their body to the point where they lose their hands, their feet, their digits, um, hair loss. So pain receptors are very important. I know there's there's been a big push, you know, back through the 80s and 90s up until now that, that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, we need to address pain in patients, which is totally true. But pain is there for a reason. And when you have pain, you got to do something different. And alleviating all pain is not always the, the right thing to do, getting at the source of it. So, Shelly, I think you're on the right track. You might even want to keep a diary of what's going on, what you're eating, particularly GI-related pains. That's something that's uh, – it's it's a, a help when you go in to get checked out, um, but I'd say if it's been going on for at least a couple of weeks, I'd I'd go ahead and just ask somebody about it. Probably nothing, but it's always nice to have that reassurance. Right, right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. And hey, forty nine's young, right? <laughs> it's younger every every day. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Shelly, for calling. Yeah, that's right. I got the big 50 coming up next year. Got to plan my trip, see what we're going to do. It's not all that. Um, not, I, feel not, I don't want to say that I'm in the grave or anything. I know a lot of people have some problems. And certainly I have people my age that I went to school with that are having some, you know, a lot of problems. But um, but as you get older, you got to think about some of those things. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call if you would like to ask us a question doesn't have to be about aches or pains. can be about anything that's going on with you. You can reach us at, at uh, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to go to Jenny in Bay Springs. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. And um, my problem is I have a prolapsed rectum. I'm 69. I weigh 135 pounds. I'm not overweight, but um, it, on a, my gynecologist diagnosed me with this. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 the worst, I have a, she said I'm about a 4. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I've got a couple of questions. One is, she said the surgery for this was very brutal, and um uh, I, I, I'm assuming it's just going to get worse over time. I, I'm, that's my, what I'm thinking. And uh, she said there's not much you can do about it, but I was wondering if there's any new things out there maybe like that I could. She said to do the exercises, you know, right. that would help. And um, But that's about all. But she, there is a ring you can insert, and I've tried that. And it, she said that's just to kind of, it's not going to help. You know yeah, yeah, and and there's there's yeah, you, you're getting the right advice, um, Jenny, on that. And it's um, rectal prolapse is when the the rectum is the last part of the intestine before it turns into the anus, which connects to the outside of the body. So the the rectum normally, you know, it's it's basically a tube of muscle that helps move stuff along. It helps to reabsorb some things like water. Um, uh, you know, in the large intestine, but really it's all the micronutrients and everything are for the most part already absorbed in the body. So it's putting all what's left in a package that can be eliminated from the body. And, um, it, as it, because it's muscular and it's, it's free flowing in the abdomen, it doesn't have a lot of uh, connections. It is connected, but it's, uh, by a, a structure called the omentum, uh, and it has blood vessels and nerves and all kinds of stuff in it. But what can happen is it can uh, sort of telescope on itself and be pulled outside the body, right outside the anus. And it is graded, as you said, Jenny, you know, on a grade of, of uh, a 10-point scale. And you're right, as you get as you go along, it can get worse. It can stay the same. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that probably your, your doctor's already told you that to sort of minimize things. As you can imagine, if you are dealing with things like constipation frequently, where you have to have a lot, uh, you have to develop a lot, a, a bigger, a, a greater pressure in your abdomen to push all that material out, well, that's going to put a lot of pressure and sort of pop that rectum out more. So you don't want to, you know, if you do have things like that, there are some medical things that you can do, uh, like minimizing um uh, constipation. The surgery basically sort of uh, tacks it down. So there's there's different ways to do that. They can do it with sutures. They can do it with 
with mesh. A lot of it has to, uh, and there's different approaches as an anterior, posterior uh, um, way to do it to sort of tack that that segment of the rectum that's coming outside the anus back down. None of that sounds, you know, you know. I, I've, I've, I have patients that had it done and it was fine afterwards. It, it was a lot to go through, but they're, you know, probably oh, five years out or so, and they're doing okay. Um, but it may not be, um, you know, you may not be there. It, uh, you need to be evaluated by a surgeon, and they're going to tell you, okay, you're, here's your risk, here's your benefits. And that's the time to ask them for things like success rates and that kind of thing. But there are some medical things you can do. I mentioned constipation. That's one. The Kegel or or pelvic floor exercises, you know, the pelvic floor where your anus is, that's basically the muscles that control it. You can, you you know, get those working a little bit better. High fiber foods, uh, you want to make sure that you've got enough fiber and drinking enough water. And, again, that's a lot of that is to... uh, uh, ensure you don't get constipation. And I'm sure, Jenny, I'm probably boring you to death because they've probably told you about all that. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, good. Okay, we're going right where we should then. So, yeah, so the Kegel exercises are one thing. You mentioned a couple of other things that they can do, like the little rings. Um, but making, you know, increasing your fiber, and you can research this on your own, uh, Twenty-five, about 25 to 30 grams per day of fiber and you can do that with a fiber supplement like Metamucil. There's a couple of other ones over the counter out there. Uh, one to two liters a day of water, particularly if you're outside and you get dehydrated, that's going to put you more at risk for concentrating that stool and making it harder to push out. You want it a little bit on the loose side, actually. Um, and if it, you know, there, there, there's a lot of different studies you can have. You know, you can do a, a colonoscopy. Most of the time, they sort of look at it. I mean, if you're if you're having a prolapse right then and there, um, you know, you can certainly see that uh, on the in the exam room. Um, but that's a couple of things you can do in addition to those Kegel exercises that might help out um, and might prolong the need uh, to get surgery. And and female over forty. The more bursts you have, all those things sort of stretch out that normal anatomy. Those are all risk factors for the, the development of it. You can have it at earlier ages. In fact, there's a congenital form of it that kids can have. Now, that ring is just to keep it in place. It's not going to help make it, you know, heal or do anything. It's just to kind of keep it where it is, and it's not going to really. Now, if I'm lifting stuff and, yep. and doing things with that ring, be a would it be good to put that in while I'm lifting stuff? It might. Yeah, it, it might. And another thing, while you're lifting, making sure you're doing that properly, like breathing throughout. You know, a lot of people, if they lift something heavy, they'll hold their breath. I'm one of these people. So that's just going to increase the pressure inside your abdomen, and it's more likely that that rectum will just pop out. But the ring might help in situations like that. But you're right. It's not going to correct the whole thing like a surgery would do. I got you. And what kind of surgery do you recommend if you do it, or is it just a case-by-case thing, you know? And who do I need to see for the surgery? So so an abdominal, somebody that specializes in abdominal or rectal surgery. So a lot of times these are... Uh, general surgeons, uh, sometimes they're, they just, you know, specifically may do that. Um, but yeah, you need to talk to a surgeon. I am not a surgeon. They heal with steel. I do not. Um, but they are going to be the ones to tell you exactly what, you know, what they might do in, in your particular case. I can tell you about all the different things out there, but I am not qualified to tell you what would fit you. Um, but going to a surgeon who does that a lot. Um, it's just like somebody, you know, if you're painting your house, you want somebody, you don't want somebody that paints a house one time a year. You want somebody that paints a house every week. Um, so that would be what I would do is to, to ask your physician to refer you to a surgeon. And that's not, you don't have to have the surgery. I mean, you can go and talk to them first and say, you know, tell me about this. Tell me about, you know, what you would do and recommend. And then you make up your mind for yourself about that. Sure. My gynecologist does that surgery. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I'm glad you mentioned it before I did. That um, 
So um, that that is a subspecialty. You know, gynecologists are surgeons. They're they're, they're trained in surgical techniques that are particular to women and mostly the uh, um, GU tract. There are urogynecologists too that specialize with the um, the uh, plumbing from uh, basically the kidneys down. Uh, so. They're, that would be somebody, as long as they know what they're doing, they've got good outcomes, you grill them on that and say, hey, how many of your patients have a good uh, outcome with this? And they should be able to give you the answer. That's not that's not a faux pas to ask them that. Okay, I got you. You have been so helpful. Oh, you're really welcome. Helpful. You're welcome. Thank you. All righty. Well, thanks for calling, and good luck to you. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to Jeanette and David, who've been patiently waiting on the line. You can call in, though, while we're going to break. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you live this morning, answering some, uh, some good questions, man. Some always good questions. I love coming into the studio and just you never know. It's like a, um, um, Forrest Gump said, it's like a box of chocolates, right? So you never know what you're going to get until you open it up. Good chocolate this morning. That's right. Um, we're going to go to Jeanette from Tippy Creek. Jeanette, where is Tippy Creek? Tippy Creek, hey. Uh, can you hear me? Okay? Yes, ma'am. I can. Where is Tippy Creek? Okay, I'm on my phone. Tippy Creek. I live on Tippy Creek, which is uh, almost to Columbus Lake. Oh, okay. Columbus, Mississippi. So yeah. Tippy Creek goes from West Point to Columbus, but I'm on the Columbus end. Gotcha. And I'm right on the creek, but I'm traveling right now. So I was going to ask you about. Um, I have an ankle. One of my my right ankle. It swells up. It goes away, like it can let me know to get off of it. Uh-huh. Um, and then sometimes it has sharp pain. A lot. Of, sometimes it has no pain. It has no swelling. But it has been doing this for probably a year. And um, I met a woman one day with something on her leg, and I said, what's wrong with your ankle? And she said, well, I broke it. And she told me she had been walking on it broken, and uh, she finally got to the doctor. And I thought, how can you walk on something that's broken? But I don't yep. know that mine's broken, but there's something going on that causes it to really swell up if I've been on it a long time. Uh-huh. And, and then, like I said, I can prop it up at night, and it'll basically almost go all the way down. Um, but it has not been back to normal in a long time. Yeah, several different things that could be going on with that. So I had a, uh, I had a, a complex high ankle injury uh, several years ago, and it is—it's a complex joint. So it, uh, you know, you, all of your weight—if uh, if you're when you're walking or running or anything like that—goes on that on the ankle and is transferred to your foot. But the movement of that ankle joint is very complex, and the bones uh, articulate; they move together in in different ways. So you can have a, a an old fracture that maybe didn't heal correctly that you didn't know about from an old injury or because all those bones, there's a ton of them that all come together. They're held together by ligaments. And if those ligaments are torn and don't heal properly, you can have a lot of problems with that. So I would recommend going in, if it's been going on that long, I would recommend going to see an orthopedic surgeon about that. They may can do an x-ray is probably not going to show anything. 
unless it's something that's that's blatantly obvious on the x-ray. They may want to do that first, and they may even want to do something like an MRI. They're going to do a detailed exam. They're probably going to send you to a physical therapist. A physical therapist can help out tremendously. So my phys- physical therapist, I give him full credit for rehabilitating me over an eight-month period back to where I thought I would never run again, and I've been able to do that and really hadn't had many problems with that ankle since. But what's happening when it swells up is it's getting re-injured. I mean, something is happening in there that, uh, and and with the pain, too, that's probably due to ligaments more than anything else or something in that joint. Well, and I had, and I don't know where it is, but I had a a black ankle thing you put on, and Uh it did seem to help maybe if I would keep some compression on it yep. at times, but it's, you know, um, I didn't, I don't even know where it is right now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, something in those, and there's special ones. The one I had was one that basically kept, there's two bones on the, the lower part of the leg that help on that, what's called the mortise of that joint. So um, they need to be held together. So they need to be sort of squeezed together by ligaments. And those were the ones that I injured. So there's different, um, different, um, braces or different wraps that you can do uh differently for different parts of the ankle um so go ahead i want to ask you a question like when you say mri can they do just your leg or is it a complete body mri oh no 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 yeah they can just do the ankle that's it they wouldn't need to do everything else yeah okay you don't have to go all the way in it if that's what you're getting at right yeah well and, and i'm i'm very healthy thank god and i am what I started doing aerobics again, and if that was like not good, it was like yeah. okay, I can't do that. And so I've got a bike, and the bike is great because the pressure's not on my ankle. Right, uh, right. I mean, it's like it's, I'm walking and doing all kinds of stuff. It just like by the end of the day, uh, especially like concrete floors or something, it's like ouch. Yeah, you know, this is time to get off. Yeah, it it'll tell you. It'll definitely tell you. But I, you know, I'm here to, to as a testament to you can think that you're never going to walk again and you you know with a physical therapist with some specific things to do it, it can be a big help. It's not fun while you're doing it. That's how you know if you got a good physical therapist if they're a, a taskmaster. Um, but I'd get it checked out. In the meantime, I would wrap it, I would uh elevate it at night when it swells up and I'd put some ice on it. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks thanks for calling. This is uh, Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Going to go now to Tom and all the way down. And are you in Orange Beach right now? I'm actually in Orange Beach at a conference uh, for the day. I I live in uh, Huntsville. Yeah. You have a nice clear signal, so I wanted to call. Oh, great. Um. I uh, have a wife that went. Um, it's, uh, my concern is rural health care. We, we live outside of Huntsville in Decatur, and she went because she had, funny the lady mentioned her ankle. She had a swollen ankle and had a couple of, she went to a, to, to a family medicine specialist, and uh, they treated her for two weeks, and then. Uh, Nothing ever happened. Uh, they were giving her Bactrim. They were giving her, uh, they thought it was maybe cellulitis. It could have been uh, uh, something else. But they never did give her the correct diagnosis. I get all my health care. I'm, I'm I've lived in New York and D.C. and Baltimore and Los Angeles and lots of places. And I always kind of have a belief in large uh, medical centers. And so I brought her to UAB and in five minutes they had a diagnosis, a yep. correct diagnosis. Yeah, it's. And I'm, uh, I'm just concerned about rural health care that people, uh, you know, first I'm angry with the doctor. They took x rays. X rays, it cur- turned out to be Charcot. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I mean, what is, what, what's happening with rural medicine? It really. I mean, I'm, I love UAB. They're, they're, it's professional. It's uh, you know, you know, it's well, well uh, run and well. Uh, and uh, I'm just impressed with them. But but I'm concerned about you know going to a rural healthcare for anything. They nickel and dime you for you know calling your uh, pharmacy for uh, getting uh, you know 
you know, two dollars to call your pharmacy, and then they're doing uh, have little signs that they're doing colonoscopies. I think, and they're all kind of on the on the on the gravy train, but their medicine is poor. Yeah, Tom, I, I think your experience, I would hope, is not everybody's. Now, I'm, you know, I've been training physicians and training primary care physicians now for about twenty years. Uh, and, you know, in my specialty, MedPeds, um, half of our residents that we train went out into areas that could be considered, you know, primary care type areas in, in rural uh, situations in both Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, Texas. Um, so our, our Louisiana, certainly our graduates in places that would qualify for, for you know, similar situations. You hit on a lot of the things that people are concerned about and should be concerned about with rural health care. You want it to be top-notch. You want to know when and how you want to get people to places that they need further help with a specialist when you don't have the right answer. You want people who are well-trained in those situations. One of the, the limitations that rural physicians have are those connections to places that where they can receive that health care. And we're doing a lot of different things now like to help extend that out to those physicians. We're extending out continual training because things you need, you know, updates and things. I need them. I'm in a, a you know, a large uh, academic medical center. Um, I, one of the things I love is my access to that. We're trying to give that access to rural physicians more. Um, one of the ways we want to connect with them is telemedicine is an excellent modality where you can be seen in conjunction with your primary care physician. You can see a um, specialist very quickly. Um, you can do it the same day in a lot of situations. We, you know, we've, we've begun to, to try to extend this out in dermatology and other specialties uh, all across Mississippi. So there are some things like that. But I, I would discourage... I know people get discouraged by individual relationships that they may have had or, or experiences that they may have had with physicians in rural health health situations and say, you know what, I'm just going to bypass that. I, I think what we need to develop in this country are better ways to support our rural physicians in all those ways that I mentioned, training, making sure they have a lot of the resources that they need to be successful and flourish in those areas because it's tough. Um you know, some of the some of the things that they need, they don't have some of the resources that they need. Those are all things we need to do a better job of. And unfortunately, those environments are not always supportive for that physician to stay there long term. And we lose right. a lot of good people. Uh, there's not a lot of incentives for, you know, somebody to go out and practice in rural places where they may not be able to make it, you know, five years down the road. Uh, yeah, this, I was... This, uh... This is near and dear to my heart, man. That, but this is this is things that that really we're trying to do with training, particularly in Mississippi, because it we have the same situation that Alabama does in many of these places where we don't have access. It, there is data, though. If you put a well-trained, qualified primary care person in a rural uh, rural area, whether that be a county or city, a small city, you're going to improve healthcare outcomes. Um, the the worst way to do that is to withdraw that, even if somebody has, you know, a lot of these places, Huntsville's, you know, it's a fairly, it's actually a bigger city. I mean, there's certainly smaller cities in Alabama and Mississippi and uh, and wherever people live that don't even have the access that, that Huntsville does. And I, you know, I hate that, that y'all had that uh, experience. Um, certainly it could have, it sounds like it could have been better. Um, and a lot of the resources that we need to give our rural physicians um, in, in training and continued relationships and access to uh, regional health centers that you touched on everything that we need to do to improve that. Yeah, and it's interesting. My, I had a, a previous wife that had an arterial venous malformation at T5, and they were very philanthropic with Hopkins, and we went and saw the chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery. And... Uh, he said, you know what, the best guy is in New York, Bennett Stein at Columbia, go there. Yep. And guess what? We went there, and he came to New Orleans, where I was living at the time. He was so approachable that he came to our home and gave uh, my, my previous wife 
a neurological test sitting in our in our in our sunroom in our patio. Oh wow, that's but, awesome. But you know, you know, he's famous. He was you know in the mecca of neurosurgery, but you know, very approachable, and he was the best. And I think now with computers, you can find the best. Yeah, you generally. can. You can. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, the the thing I worry about are those people that that are in rural areas. Those patients are in rural areas that may not have all those resources and they may not can go. We've got to find out and we've got to really get creative with ways that we can reach out to them. And we've got to advocate and engage payment systems to try to make sure that we can support that Um, because it's not going to happen if, you know, you may have an altruistic person like you found that would come out to you, uh, but that's not sustainable throughout the nation and particularly in rural communities. Exactly. Well, I wish you well. It's a great show, and uh, I wish uh, have a great rest of the summer, and uh, I'll be listening. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Tom, for calling, and I uh, hope you have a great conference. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Southern Remedy. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, got a lot, uh, a couple of callers that have been patiently waiting. We will be right back after this. MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Dr. Jimmy. I'm here with you on Southern Remedy Live and. uh, Closing out the hour here, got a couple of callers on the line, got some great questions, and um, hats off to everybody who uh, made that step to just call in. It's always a better program when we have callers. Um, Don't forget, future programs, you can call in early. You can call in early and have a little bit more time to to talk, because we always uh, have a little bit of difficulty getting everybody in here at the end. So we're going to go to Jackie in Utica. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm calling about my husband, who's 71. Okay. He's in basically good health, other than chronic back pain. In the past few weeks, he's been having debilitating nausea and dizziness. We thought it was from the insects because he was taking it for his back pain. So he stopped taking those. He's had a couple of ER visits uh, because he could barely stand at times to no avail. Uh, he had an epidural. A, week, a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, and his blood pressure shot up to 241 over 140, so they had to observe him because he couldn't stand up. Mm-hmm. Then he's he's gone everywhere we can think of. He's gone to an uh, he's had an upper endoscopy done because of extreme nausea, and she said there was a little gastritis there, but nothing significant. He's had his heart checked out. The only thing that they saw was asymptomatic PAC. Uh, he's no longer taking the NSAIDs. He's still having unexplained dizziness and nausea to know that there's no rhyme or reason. And uh, we would like to know what you suggest. Who should he go to next? He has an appointment with an ENT coming up. Yeah, that's one of the people that I was going to suggest with those symptoms. So those types of symptoms, so the headache and the dizziness. And dizziness is one of those things that we try to differentiate in different ways. So mm-hmm. there's dizziness where you feel lightheaded, <clears throat> and then there's vertigo. Vertigo is when you twist, or, like if you turned around, you know, around, 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 like pin the tail on the donkey kind of stuff, and, and everything's spinning. So if the room is spinning or you feel like you're spinning, that's vertigo, and certainly you can be dizzy with that, or you can have dizziness. 
the things that have more of a vertigo component to it, that's usually the things that I send somebody to an ENT. Not always, but that's that's more of in their realm because it probably has more to do with the inner ear, which controls your balance or helps to control your balance, or it could be something that's going on in the brain itself. Um, the cerebellum helps coordinate that. There's other systems that help coordinate that. Um, the other possibility, and I, I don't know, I didn't, I don't think I heard you mention this, would be a neurologist. Okay. Um, but that might be somebody that can do a little bit more detailed, you know, exam and do some other things. There's some testing diagnostic testing that you can do beyond what you've mentioned. And I think you said he's already had an MRI. Is that correct? No, not on the brain. He's yeah. not had an MRI. You know, that's a, that's a possibility too. They may want to do that, but I, I would see either the, I would see that if you've got an appointment with the ENT, go that route first. Um, and then they may even want the MRI for, you know, during, after their examination. But I think you're on the right track there. Because there's in different, this is sort of an overlap of specialties where you'll have neurologists, you'll have uh, ENTs that sort of, they practice along the same lines. Either one of those directions would be fine, though. But if you're not, if you don't get anywhere with the ENT, I would try the neurologist. What types of things do they look for in the brain? What do a neurologist look for? So the neurologists are going to look at the structure of the brain itself, and they're going to look at function. So function is basically exam and what they do, you know, and and some of the symptoms. Um, But they're going to be looking for any kind of structural change that can be benign or malignant tumors sometimes. I don't want to scare you with that, but that's, you know, that's at least on the list. Um, But it could be lots of other things, too, in just how the brain works itself. So, all right, Jackie, we're up against the hour here. So uh, thank you for calling, but I would would stick with the uh, ENT first. All right, I appreciate you answering so many questions in a short period of time. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for calling. All right, that's uh, unfortunately all the time we have for this hour. We want to thank everybody for calling. And Southern Remedies, a production production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and your generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Wednesday on Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on NPB Think Radio. 